Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I hope you enjoy as we begin our foundation series over the next couple of weeks, really looking at what do we believe, what do we do with it, and how can I serve in the body of Christ. Enjoy. Last week, we, uh, I, sidebar, I, I sidetracked a little bit with notes, but I talked a little bit about the presence of God, focusing in on, on manifest presence of God, how we get to the place where we actually sense and know His presence. Today I'm going to talk, as we continue on with our foundation series, I'm going to talk about the very foundation of everything. Yeah, you can still bring my volume down just a little bit. The very foundation of what it all stems to and how would we know anything that we know without this book right here, without this book right here. So I'm going to talk about the Bible. The Bible, it's the inspired Word of God. I'm going to talk about what that word inspired mean. It doesn't mean that it came, I don't, you tell me if it's not too loud. You tell me if it, or I, I was, I was talking to him for a second. What, uh, I'll talk about what inspired means in just a little bit, but inspired doesn't mean like, oh, I have a great idea, inspired. We're going to talk about that word being God-breathed here in just a minute, where it's written by man, but it's really written by God, penned by man. We're going to look here in just a minute about how miraculous this book is, that it's Imagine written by 40 different contributors over 1,400 years, written in three different languages originally, but yet there's not one mistake. There are people that have tried to say it contradicts itself, but yet it doesn't, because when you look at it in context, there's not a contradiction in here. It lines up historically, prophetically. The accuracies go from beginning to end. When you look at this book, when you look at there's 10,000 plus different manuscripts, older versions, uh, books, and compilations, that when you compare them and bring them together, you find out that this book, even though it is thousands of years old, has stood the test of time, stood the test of man, and it is accurate and true and good to understand and believe what it says and know that this is, even today, the very Word of God, His love story written for us. So how can we know who God is if we don't know how His book was made up? How can we know His love letter to us if we don't read it? And sometimes we don't read it because we don't understand it. So today I'm going to talk about the basics. The basics of the Word of God. There, As a matter of fact, when we dissect this book, we can find that there are some facts about it. The four basic facts of the Bible, the first one is it is the Word of God. Again, it might have been penned by man, but it is the very Word of God. John 7, John 7, 17 says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Uh, we also see sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17 also states that in a different translation. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, think about this, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, 
but as what it really is, the words of God, which is at work in you, the believer. So we know that this is not just words from men, but this is the actual word of God, and it is working in you and for you, the believer. We also know the second fact about this is it is written by prophets and it's written by priests or penned by prophets and penned by priests. Second Peter 1, 19-21 says, All we have and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well pay. You will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We also know it was written by man, but it was inspired. This is that word inspired. It means God breathed. It was breathed into man. It, was, it came from God through man. Man, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, we know of this book that it is divided into two testaments. They make it easy on us. We've got the Old, Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament sets forth the type and shadow of the New Testament church. It points to Jesus the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and it points back to Jesus. Watch this. They told me, they told me that Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. I later found out the reason that they don't think Jesus is in the Old Testament. They had not read it. Jesus is in every page. <laughs> I can't find a page... I can't find a book that Jesus isn't there because in Genesis he is the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is my high priest. In Numbers, he is a cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of my salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and our lawgiver. In Ruth, he is my kinsman and my redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is a trusted prophet. In 1st and 2nd Kings, he is the Lord and our King. In 1st and 2nd Chronicles, he's the reigning King. In Ezra, he's my faithful spouse. In Nehemiah, he's the one that can build up a broken down walls. Can you shout amen? In Esther, he's my Mordecai. Oh, and in Job, he's my Redeemer. Come on, talk to me. In Psalms, he is my Lord and my Shepherd. In Proverbs, he's my wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, He's my lover. In the song of Solomon, he is the fair one. He is my beloved. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, the bomb of Gilead. In Lamentations, he's the weeping priest. In Ezekiel, he's a wheel. In the middle of a wheel. In Daniel, I said in Daniel, he is the fourth man that walks with me in a fiery furnace. In Hosea, talk to me saints. He is the one that bought me off the auction block. And 
Joel. He is the Holy Ghost baptizer. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. Obadiah, mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our foreign missionary. Tell me what his name is. In Micah, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. Zephaniah, he is our savior. Haggai, he's a restorer of God's lost heritage. Zechariah, he's an open fountain. And he is a mountain splitter. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness who will rise with healing in his wings. You want me, you want me go on? You want me finish? I don't think you can handle this. We don't believe in all that Jesus preaching. You're in the wrong church. We don't believe in all that Jesus stuff. You in the wrong church because Jesus bought my clothes. Jesus bought my food. Jesus healed my body. Jesus gave me the first lady. Jesus gave me my children. Jesus has given me everything. If you don't want me to preach about Jesus, you need to go to another church because this church is Jesus' church. This church is Jesus' church. That's right, I'm a Jesus freak, baby. All I want to think about is Jesus. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the night. He did for me what nobody else could do. In Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he's a miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the foundation of the church. In Romans, he's our justifier. First and second Corinthians, he is our sanctifier. In Galatians, he is a redeemer. Somebody shout redeemer. And from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ that has unsearchable riches. Oh yeah, in Philippians, he is a God that supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I like this one. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In first and second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In first and second Timothy, he is a mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a friend and a stick closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's my great physician. Somebody open up and say, ah. He's got the answer. In first and second Peter, he's my great shepherd. In first, second, third John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord that's coming with 10,000 saints. And let me tell you what he is in Revelation. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Amen. He's the Amen. I think that's kind of fun. That's a good way to show Jesus in every book, every book in the Bible. So let's break these down. First off, Hebrews 8, 1 through 7 says, Now point, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. God set this up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if, we're, if, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. 
They serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For then, or for when, Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained the ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant as he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So we've got this idea that Jesus had to fulfill something that was broken in the old. Jesus made right that which man messed up. Jesus is the idea of it all. The Old Testament points to the need for him, and the New Testament shows how we are utilizing or experiencing the benefit of who Jesus is. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And then Hebrews 10.1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And then one more scripture before I break these all down. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ages, or for whom the end of the ages has come. This book is significant in our instruction. It's significant in our understanding. It is the word of God. It will show us who he is. It will show us who we are in his eyes, not who we are in our own eyes. It is the most important thing we could ever look at. It has withstood the test of time. It will outlast us. It will outlast anything. It is the best book ever written. And it's broken down into the Old Testament, like I said, in the New Testament. And let's make this easy. The books, all of them, all 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, it's a library of 39 books, and it's written into five subjects. So here's how this is broken down. We've got the law. Now, when I was teaching this to my students, I kind of made this little easy numeric phrase. It was just 512, 5512-41211. Now, I remember that to this day, and that's going to break down these these, these uh Subjects or these topics that, that are written in the books of the Bible. 5125524121. And we could also say it in this it's leap gear. What? That's not a word. You're absolutely right. But when you look at these, you'll see what I mean. The first five books of the Bible are the law. Five, five, twelve, five, five, twelve, four, one, twenty, one, one. Five, leap gear, L, law. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the very, the very first five books. It's also known as the Pentateuch. This is what would have most likely been memorized by most Jewish, good Jewish men and boys. They would know this as the true foundation of what they are as Jewish people. Then we go into the history. These are 12 books. Remember five, 12, five, five. Do you see the theme that I'm getting here? Okay. The next 12 books are the history of the Old Testament, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and then we get into the poetry books. Five, twelve, five. Okay, I'm going to quit repeating that little phrase, that that numerical increase. Just know it's there. Poetry. This is Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. By the way, the whole book comprises the Psalms. Of Psalms, when you read just one, it is a Psalm. 
So many times when you hear people talk about I quoting out of a the Psalms and they go to like Psalm 90, you hear people say, turn to Psalms 90. Well, it's just one Psalm. Just a little pet peeve of mine, but we're going to read Psalm 90 out of the book of Psalms, just for what it's worth, a little bit of English today. So we've got Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. By the way, when you do your reading, the math works out as such. If you will read every day five Psalms and one Proverbs every day, you'll get through the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs in a month. Something to think about. Did I mess up already? Okay, good. Uh, Then you've got your major prophets and your minor prophets. Some of them had a little more clout than others. We've got people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, these major prophets doing major exploits. But then you've got some minor prophets that have a lot to learn from, like Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, or Haggai. Uh, Zephaniah wrote down twice for some reason. Uh, He must be a really important minor prophet. And uh, Malachi. Uh, Malachi is uh, one of the books that we really look to in understanding the tithing principle and God blessing us through uh, how we honor his, his, him through our giving. We can look at Hosea. Um, I like Joel because the whole theme that I like in Joel is that there's no lost ground, that we may fall, but when we return, God will restore. Um, you can look all throughout these. Habakkuk uh, is in, in, instrumental in understanding that we need to uh, write the vision then that's the breakdown of the Old Testament. That's simple. Then looking at the New Testament, there are 27 books broken into five categories. We've got the Gospels. These are the the books talking about Jesus, the good news, gospel meaning good news. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, By the way, if you're just starting out in your Bible reading, I highly recommend the book of John because this is a love book to us. Uh, I could take time and and tell you that each one, as they're written by somebody with a different idea, different educational background, points to a different way of interpreting or seeing a different lens, so to speak, of how Jesus did things. And so we can see how, how it applies to maybe the Jew or the Gentile, maybe the educated or the not. And, and when you look at the Gospels through the lens of the author, then they begin to come alive and you begin to understand why would Mark say it that way and then John not say it that way. And we find that some stories are in all four Gospels. Well, one story might be only in only one Gospel or it might be in one or two Gospels. And when they are there, they don't contradict, but one might say this about the story but leave it out in another Gospel. And it's just not to to confuse matters, but it's written in different perspectives. People notice different things. I could tell you that if we were all to stand in a room and I were, I, I were to uh, turn the lights on, a dark room, walk us into a black room uh, full of things, turn the lights on for 30 seconds, turn them off, walk us out of the room, put us in a room, turn the lights back on and ask you to describe the room and you just to describe the room, you would describe the exact same room but from different perspectives and that's what happens when you read the the Gospels. And then you go into the history books. This is really one. This is the book of Acts. This is the, the Acts of the Church. This is the establishment of the church. This is the church that I think I would have loved to experience, but I believe that we as a church today should be experiencing more than they experience. This is where miraculous things happen from people other than Jesus. Jesus set the precedent of what can happen, but then he said, you should do greater things than even I do. And people were walking up to, to, to blind people, and they were seeing, and they're shadows. They would walk by people and their shadows would be so full of the anointing and presence of God that people would be healed just by their shadows passing by people. And, and you'd read stories of, peop- of, of, of uh, people um, lacking the, 
the um, reverence of the very presence of God to the point that they would lie to the Holy Spirit and be struck dead instantly. How's that for a little bit of scariness? Yes, she's paying attention right now, isn't she? So, but there's some major things, but this is the history in the Old Testament. Then you've got uh, the books that Paul wrote throughout the New Testament. We call them the Pauline epistles, and then uh, the general epistles, some of these, uh, well, well, let's talk about the Pauline epistles. This is, uh, Paul wrote books like Romans, one of my favorite books of the Bible, First and Second Corinthians, uh, what I call the, the God's Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, G. EPC, God's Electric Power Company, go eat popcorn, whatever it takes to help you remember those in order. Then you got first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy. A lot of these, by the way, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Romans, Corinthians are written to a church, to a people in a region about what they're going through, but oftentimes, if not all the time, we can apply them to where we are. Uh, I love the aspects of that. Then we've got uh, like first and second Timothy written to a person, a young man that was uh, building possibly the largest church ever in history. Um, and then you've got Titus who was imprisoned and escaped and 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 basically uh, Paul encouraged or was it Titus it might have been Philemon one of those two uh, escaped and Paul basically sent a letter back to his captives and saying hey this is a man in grace forgive him but I love Titus because the book of the Titus says the theme of this is I'm not saved by what I do but let what I do show that I'm saved so you've got all these neat ideas and perspectives that Paul wrote one of the greatest scholars ever. Um, also a highly, highly, highly persecuted man, but he set out to persecute initially. He hated what they called the, the sect, the, 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 uh, the church that believed in Jesus until he got knocked off of his horse. You read about that in the history book of Acts. And then he turned his life around and followed Jesus. Then you've got the general epistles. Uh, you've got Hebrews, first and second John, first second. I'm sorry, first and second Peter, first, second, and third John, James, and June. Some would say there's there's a little bit of um, a debate as to who the author of Hebrews it was. Some would say it was Paul. Others don't really know who it was. Uh, in in um, uh, just really breaking down the 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 verbiage, the the actual use of the language. Uh, some people say it's written exactly like as if Paul had written it, uh, but we don't really know. Most of Paul's books start out with I, Paul, whatever, of Jesus. And in this book, it doesn't start out quite like that. But uh, it's in there, and it's one of the most incredible books. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is the law for the New Testament. It's really not the law because we're not under the law. But it shows how the law is no longer what controls us it's the grace of god that changes us and it's a really cool book it shows how jesus became our final and lasting sacrifice and it's a it's a powerful book and then you've got james and jude james a tough book telling us how to control our tongue but also talking to us how we can uh, withstand trials because trials shape and mold our faith and then we get into the book of prophecy the book of revelation what a difficult oftentimes book to understand but what a powerful time talking about the very days that we some say we're going through right now some say we've already been through some say we're going through but the one thing i do know is it leads to the fact that we are in a battle that we have already won and i love that book so that's the breakdown of the bible and that i would say this to that person that struggles with reading the bible i've heard it say but the bible is just so Boring, And I'm going to tell you right now, no, the Bible's not boring, you're boring. 
the Bible's not boring, you're boring, and you've got to find ways to dive in and read the stories and experience all the miraculous things that happen in the Bible, the, the cool things, the neat things, the big things, the little things, the lowly things, the, the inspiring things, and how it's written for us today, and it applies for us today, the Bible. The other thing, so that was the basic four things that we know about the Bible, the basic facts. We also need to know about it, and I mentioned it briefly, but I'm going to go into it in a little bit more detail, that it is the inspired Word of God. Inspiration of God means that the Spirit of God moved the men of faith to write. They were literally stirred to write these things as they wrote. They expressed God's very words and thoughts. 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We discover that all Scripture is the Word of God. Every word in this book is from God. Every word is from God. 2 Timothy 3, script, 3 Scripture. 3.16. There's a word right below that 16 that says Scripture. Uh, I read this earlier. It says, All Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for report, proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So why? Why did God give us this book? Why do we need this book? Well, number one, to show us all that we need, what we need to know in life. This is our instructions. This shows us how to live life, be life, experience life, know life, have the fullness of life, live victoriously, this is all that we need to know in life. Number two, it's to show us how he feels towards us. Sometimes we need to be reminded about what God says about us, what, how he feels towards us. Who in their right mind would send their only son to this earth to die so that we could have right relationship with us? This book talks about that story in detail. And the way I could describe that is in one word to show how he feels towards us, and that is love. It also, number three, is to show us that we, how we should live. It gives us his principles. It shows us what right living is. It describes what right and wrong are. And listen, we aren't saved by living right. Once we're saved, we're made right, and living right just happens. And number four, to show us what priorities we should have. Prioritizing happens naturally when we get into the presence of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says, And he humbled you and let, your, let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is our sustenance. This is our nourishment. This is what feeds our spirit. This is what gives us the get along, the get along, if you know what I mean. Then Isaiah 8, 19 through 20 says, And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the some word that I don't know, and who chirp and mutter. I think that's funny when it talks about uh, mediums and, and sorcerers and, and divination. Div, 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 that word that I can't say now. Uh, people of psychic powers, the they chirp and mutter. Isn't that an interesting set of words? Uh, so when he said, when they say to you, inquire these people that, who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why do you go to these people, he's saying, instead of going to your God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Why do we seek out 
uh, mediums to, to speak to us on behalf of the dead. Go to the God and inquire of the living to teach to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They don't know the morning. They have no light. They don't know the sun shining upon them is what it's saying here. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then it goes on to say, And all these things will be added to you. When you read before that, it talks about consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And they don't worry about what, what will be provided for them. They don't worry about their next meal. That's a loose paraphrase. And then it goes, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. It's also, in, uh, the Word of God is given to us to teach us how to relate to one another. You want to know how to relate to one another? Get into the Word of God. First Peter one twenty two says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It teaches us how to love one another. Without the love of God, we couldn't truly love the way He intends for us to love. It also is here to teach us how to relate to Him. This is through praise, through worship, and through prayer. 2 Timothy 3.15 From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. They have the power to give you wisdom so that you can be saved through faith in Christ Jesus. It also teaches us doctrine. It teaches uh, correction. It gives us correction and instruction and reproof. It shows us how to be righteous. And we read that earlier in 2 Timothy 3.16 Every scripture passage is inspired by God as we know. It teaches us how to love God. John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. James 1, 23-25 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. What's that going to accomplish? For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed by his doing. So it's one thing to read the word. It's another thing to do what it says. We also have this word, this book. It's, it's here, but we need to know the purposes for studying God's word. Well, one of the purposes for reading God's word is it reveals sins and mistakes. We read again, it is the scripture from 2 Timothy 3.16. It's there for teaching, reproof, for correction. It helps us cleanse our ways. Psalm, right there, 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to your word, it gives us peace. Isaiah 55, 8 through 12 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. 
His word will accomplish in us that which He intended for it to accomplish. And the way we get there is to put it in us. And the way we put it in us is by reading it often, daily, hourly, as often as we can, putting it in us, feeding it us. And it goes, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. How's that for an interesting expression of what happens? The Word of God is intended for us to produce faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the resources that we have before us today to study God's Word. But one of the things that I like to do often when I read just for reading the Word is one of the apps, the Bible app on our phone, has options to listen to it. And I love to hear the word of the of God as I read it because faith it says here comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God or hearing through the word of Christ it also is intended to change us and cause our minds to be in harmony with God and with his purposes for our life Psalm 19 7 says the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple it produces fruit and prosperity Psalm 1 1 through 3 one of my favorite places to start when I read out of the book of Psalms, obviously, is Psalm 1. But what a powerful opening to such a powerful book. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Another, By the way, another way to read law is just his word. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. Now, I want to ask this question. Why does a tree planted by streams of water yield its fruit in season and why does its leaf not wither? Think about this. In the seasons that we have today, looking outside right now, do our trees have leaves on them? No, because fall came and the leaves withered and they fell off, right? The picture that we have here is a tree that never loses its leaves. That never loses its leaves. Its leaves never, never, never wither. Never wither. Never. They do not wither. They do not wither. The tree's leaves do not wither. Why? Because by planting itself in, by streams of water, the word of God, its roots go deep, and it is always nourished. That when droughts might come, it never loses its tap into the source in which it draws its power, draws its nourishment. The Word of God is this stream that causes our roots to go deep. And it says, in all that He does, He prospers. And then, why do we study or dive into the Word of God? Well, it gives us victory over sin. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Uh, the King James says, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Another, word, another, another way we can look at this is change our seed. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable through the living and, a, and through the living and abiding word of God. It produces power in our prayer. John 15:7 says, "If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you." What a powerful thing. So the question is, 
based on what I've talk, talked about in this book. How do I study it? How do I study it? It's one thing just to read it, but how do I study it? Well, there's different ways. One of the things is find something that applies in your life, such as a promise, a prayer, provision, or principle. Google it. There are studies after studies after studies out there. You can uh, find words. Some of our Bibles have little concordances in the back. Or you can Google a concordance and look at word, the word promise and read every scripture that has the word promise in it and see how that applies to you. And don't just read the one scripture. Read before it and read after it. Read all around it. Read the chapters before, the chapters after. Read the whole book. Read the Bible every day. I say in here, read it at least 15 minutes. I say, read it enough to hear from God. If you hear from God in five minutes, or if it takes you five hours, hear from God every day, but at least spend time in it. If you struggle to get into this every day, if it's a drudgery, drudge, I'm saying weird words today that don't sound like real words, but if it's a struggle, that's okay. Be consistent. Develop a discipline to get into the Word and read something. That's why I like if you're struggling to get going, start in the book of Psalms and read five Psalms a day. Five Psalms a day. It gets a little difficult until you get, when you get to Psalm 119 that is like 18 pages long. It's the longest Psalm in the, in the, in the Bible, but in the book of Psalms. But, but read a Psalm a day and watch the power in life that comes. Read a proverb a day. Um, get into the book of John. Read the exciting books at first. Don't do not start in the book of Numbers or Leviticus. Don't go there. Stay out of Lamentations for right now if you're just getting started. Go ahead and, and dive into Romans. Go ahead and read Acts, the book of Acts. Read some fun things. If you really struggle with the idea that man, there's 180,000 whatevers to this chapter, this book. Read a short book. Read Titus. Read Philemon. Read Jude. Read a, a, a short book. Feel like you've accomplished. Man, I sat down and read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting. Who cares if it was 18 chapters long for the entire book? But do something. Follow a systematic plan. Some people, though, when they do start out, they get trapped in this. Open the Bible and go, All right, I'm going to read this page today. Oh, this is the Lord's Prayer. That's a good one to read. And then they close it, and then the next day they go, all right, I'm going to read this today. And occasionally, sometimes we, we do that. But get a plan. Read systematically. Read a book at a time in the Bible. Um, there are plans out there where you can read the entire Bible in one year. I know my dad reads the Bible through the Bible every year, and he reads a different translation every year. Read book by book or one book over and over. One of the things I like to do is continually read the Gospels in the book of Acts over and over and over. I'm not as spiritual as my dad. I'm not as good a reader as my dad. I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm a very terrible reader. And I'm a slow reader. And so I, I've never been able to read the entire Bible in a year. I wind up looking at the plan and going, I've missed. And then I give up. That's just how I am. But what I do like is the Gospels and Acts. I can read them over and over and over. And then I fill in the space with other books. And, and, and I'm able to read the whole Bible at occasion in a, in, in a span of time. There's a plan out there that is the whole Bible in two years. That's a good one for a lot of people. But read it. Memorize scriptures. If you're reading and, and a scripture just jumps off the page, kind of going, wonka, 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 
Write, take a note card and write that scripture out and, re, and read it over and over all day, every day for a week, and then begin to memorize it so that you can quote it to yourself and retain it for a long time because oftentimes God is speaking that to you. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says again, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that seedeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. That is out of the King James. But again, as I read earlier, Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Meditate on the word. It's like that when that scripture jumps out at you, take a note card, write it down, and read over it every day, all day, throughout the day. Post it in your car, on your rearview mirror, on your mirror at your, um, at your house where you, uh, I don't do my hair, but wherever you are at, often put it on your refrigerator, put it at your desk at work so you can see it. Maybe you meditate on one scripture or, or several scriptures every week Psalm 119 or Psalm 1914 says let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O Lord my strength and my redeemer so lastly and very quickly some study tools you've got the Bible app the, the one that comes that's got like every translation known to man and it's got there's tons have you noticed it's the one that we use when we do a church wide um, devotional there's tons of resources, topical devotions. Uh, what, what are you going through? What do you need help with? Get that one. That's the number one. Esword, e-sword.org, I think it is. There's a, on your computer, you can download all kinds of commentaries and, and uh, Bible helps, dictionaries, things like that. That's what I use. Blueletterbible, blb.com. Uh, uh, there's an app on your phone, and it's got what's called an inner linear Bible attached to it, where you can click on the scripture, click on the word, and it can tell you the, the original meaning. It can give you the root meaning, because sometimes these words come from multiple words. I'm just going to tell you, it can be a little, just occasionally. But uh, I love Blue Letter Bible. I spend a lot of time, and I Google the ton of stuff. Now, you've got to be careful with Google, because sometimes you're reading something that seems really good, and you realize it's pulled from a cult or pulled from something demonic. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So you've got to really be careful with Google and really know its source before you read that and go like, that's right, and you've really got to make sure it's root. Listen, if it doesn't come directly from this, don't trust it. If it takes things out of context, if, it, if oftentimes... I'll be preparing a message and I'll be using a Google source and I'll be reading. I'm like, that scripture doesn't seem quite right. And so I'll begin to read before and after. I'm like, forget it, new sermon. Just telling you right now. I will not misuse scripture. I will not quote scripture to make it say what I think it should say. I say what the scriptures say. So all kinds of study tools, but the important thing is not that you do it I'm gonna be, I, want you to, I don't want you to misunderstand what I say because we need to do it right. But the important thing is that we not get hung up on doing it right, is that we just do it. And we trust the Holy Spirit to guide our studies. Amen? <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.